It's time for the latest local, regional, and national sports topics of the day. It's the Sports Fan, presented by J&K Contracting. Ready? Now, from the WATH studios, here's Connor Mills and Joey Madore. From the studios of WATH, this is the Sports Fan on 970 and 97.1 FM. Connor Mills on the mic alongside Joey Medor as it's 6.06 on this 12th day of October. 73 degrees and mostly cloudy outside here in southeast Ohio. It's a Sports Fan presented by J&K Contracting. And Joey, you know, it was a big football weekend. Disappointing loss for the Athens Bulldogs in a big, big game for the Bengals as they got trounced by the Baltimore Ravens uh, on Sunday. And that was just a, uh, a game where you you could feel almost the pain. I mean, every single time it seemed like Joe was dropping back, the Ravens are right on top of them. There was no chance for, for really Cincinnati to do much of anything uh, in, in that ball game. And they got their three points, and just it, it just shows to go how much the Bengals really have to go to be considered one of the, the better teams in the NFL. they, they got a, a big mountain to climb here. Yeah, I think some people were getting a little, uh, I don't know, it just seemed we were living a bit to the, into the, bit too much into the moment with that uh, win over the Jaguars, and we didn't, no one was really trying to take into consideration the fact that the Ravens are one of the best teams in the NFL and nowhere close to being what the Jaguars are. I mean, I know some people thought the Bengals would, could cover the spread in this game. I, some people gave him an outside chance to win just because it was a division game. It was the first time the Ravens were going to see him and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, you just saw. I mean, the Ravens, first of all, they're known for defense. It's been their history. Uh, they got a lot of big, bad dudes, especially up front on the on the defensive line. And they bring a lot of exotic blitzes that, uh, that you know, an offensive line like the like the youth that the Bengals have there, aren't going to be used to seeing. And you saw that. I mean, the amount of guys running free at times was, uh, you know, you'd have a couple plays in a row where there'd be guys just running free absolutely untouched on the way to the quarterback. And obviously when you have that, you know, it's going to be really tough to do anything offensively. Uh, they couldn't establish a run game with Mixon. Again, another thing you figured would be tough, playing the Ravens, uh, you know, not really susceptible to giving up big plays in the running game. And, you know, uh, it was interesting to me that uh, people thought that this could possibly be a close game, but it, it looked bad. Uh, I think you saw all the vulnerabilities that this Bengals offense has. Uh, they just, nothing was working, really. And, you know, even there were plays that Joe had time to throw the ball, and, you know, he wasn't perfect yesterday by any means. I mean, right. I understand on the interception there's a guy right in his face, but also it's a rookie. You can't just throw the ball up in the middle of the field just because there's pressure coming right at your face. you got to either find someone to check it down to or throw the ball, you know, get it out of bounds. You can't just chuck it up in the middle, especially with this Ravens secondary that has a guy like Marcus Peters who is known for being a ball hawk and just going after the ball and attacking. But, yeah, I mean, the O-line, you got to give them an F grade for this game, you know. Couldn't really do anything. Joe was pressured all day, sacked seven times against a Ravens team that wasn't really great at uh, getting sacks against a quarterback. And on the other side of the ball, I mean, the defense didn't play bad, which you got to take into consideration. They held the Ravens to three offensive points in the second half, and uh, they looked out of sorts at times as well with uh, Jackson looking a little bit off target, the run game. Uh, you know, they rushed for 161 yards, but didn't really feel that way. And right. I don't know, it was interesting how they decided to, to almost – 
get close to you know, kind of doubling the amount of passing and running they did because they, you know, really weren't getting stymied that much in the run game. But they uh, tried to, I guess that was part of the game plan, try to take advantage of the Bengals secondary. And they stepped up to the challenge. They got an interception uh, when the Ravens could have really put out a hand to end the first half. And they hung around, as I said, only gave up three points as a defense in the second half. So that's something you can look at. So, you know, the defense probably gets around a C grade because, you know, you gave up 27 points still. Obviously, one of them was on the, the fumble return for a touchdown, but if you're scoring three points, it doesn't matter what you're going to do. I think you just saw it's a long way to go for this Cincinnati team because you saw what the top of the division and what the bottom of the division looks like, and it's a big difference. Right. I, I really want to see what you know Cincinnati will do against uh, the Steelers because the Steelers are still undefeated. Uh, you know they've they've proven that they've got a good team this year. Uh, really, I mean their only close game was against the Browns when it was a loss. Of course, they did get the win. Uh, two weeks ago now against Jacksonville, but for you know, Cincinnati, uh, my big question is what was A.J. Green doing on that interception? He just saw that ball kind of float over his head and right into the arms. He just watched. He was a bystander. And he just watched it go over. Not that he could have done much about it because just the way that it was thrown, it seemed like it was right at the defender, but still, like on, on a play like that, you know, there was no help offered, I guess, by any of the receivers in that vicinity to try to at least knock that ball down or make a catch on it. I mean, oh, it, come it, on, man. It wasn't a good was, throw. No, <laughs> it was it was not a good twist. It was not a good throw. But again, like if if the ball is is a 50-50 ball, I mean, and it wasn't. Like that that ball was a, a had interception written all over it and the Bang, uh the Baltimore Ravens, you know, did whatever they could with it. You know, they, they got that interception, but you know, A.J. Green just, uh, I don't know, is it time to move on from him, do you think, for, for Cincinnati? Or do you still give him some more, a couple more games and see if he can break out of this? Because he, he yeah. hasn't been productive at all for he, that Bengals de- uh, for the Bengals offense. Absolutely right, he hasn't been productive at all. And he got benched about halfway through the game. And, I, I mean, no one came out with any kind of injury that he had. So maybe that play was kind of the, uh, I don't, don't want to say the last straw. I mean, there was... And, you know, clips of him on the sideline looking pretty disinterested throughout the second half of the game, just sitting on the bench with his helmet off and things like that. So it looks like he's emotionally checked out of whatever's going on with the Bengals. But the Bengals, uh, perhaps it is time to move on. I don't know what his trade value would be to a team right now because you have a veteran coming off an injury who has not looked good at all when other receivers in the same system have uh, been able to thrive. I mean, Higgins and Boyd have both stepped up the past few weeks. They've had Auden Tate. Mike Thomas has been involved in the offense. Um, And, you know, I don't know what you're going to get for him, but it doesn't seem right now that A.J. Green is very interested in playing. Now, maybe that has to do with him being benched. Maybe he didn't uh, agree with the decision. I don't know what led to it. I mean, I know... I don't think that play where he didn't do anything on the interception helped him. Uh, I mean, I don't think even if he jumps, he's getting a hand on that ball. No, but. I, listen, there was, there was no chance that he was going to be able to make a play on that ball, but it's just... Yeah, it, but, it's also like on the run, but also on the run back, you see the video where he's kind of just jogging behind the play, then he kind of turns away from it while Peters was still returning it the other way. And that's my point. Yeah. So, as I said, I mean, he just looks kind of disinterested out there, uh, just kind of going through the motions... And when you have these young guys at receiver, and I know A.J. Green was a big part of the Bengals' early success in the 2010s when Dalton was around, but, I mean, they got these young guys who are out there making plays, and he just isn't. So at some point, you got to say, I mean, 
you know, we got we to gotta run with the guys who are out there doing stuff because he just hasn't, I mean, did, he didn't have a, I don't think he had a target yesterday, but I guess that, that one pass that got picked off. But other than that, he wasn't, you didn't see him anywhere. And again, no. he didn't play the entire second half, but. No, I mean, as a career, right, for A.J. Green, he's had a good career. And he's got, he's been a guy that the Cincinnati Bengals have been able to rely on, you know, for the majority of his career, like from 2011 all the way through 2017, a little bit of 18, you know, not a whole lot because he got injured. But yeah, 18 is when the injuries started happening. Yeah. I mean, 16, he drops down under 1,000 yards for a season at 964, which is still close enough. You know, 100 targets, 66 rece- uh, receptions. Uh, bounces back up in 17, 1,078 uh, yards. But then 18 injuries, uh, did not play in 2019. And then here in, in 2020, you know, 14 receptions and 34 targets, not 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 great. You know, he, he was averaging during his career you know, more than 10 yards per pass attempt. Whenever he receives it, you know, more than 10. You know, hasn't really been below 13 yards, but this year he's at 8.5. At, at some point, you know, you just have to rip the Band-Aid off. He was a good player for the, for the Bengals for a long time. He has been a reliable receiver, and he was at the top. But it might be time for Cincinnati just to move on from A.J. Green, and it, it'll be okay. You know, you can celebrate him. You can go give him a standing ovation you know, when fans are allowed back into the stadium. But, you know, at this point in his career, the franchise is moving one way, and he's moving the other. And if he's not a part of the long-term plans, then maybe you go and trade him. Maybe you try to find you know, some deal or maybe get a couple draft picks or maybe get a, a younger wide receiver. Maybe even you get you know, another offensive lineman. I'd be okay with just getting another body. Uh, whoever else can can replace that O line. I, I don't know, but at at some point you, know, you gotta make room for the younger guys coming up uh, for, for Cincinnati and AJ Green right now. Just he hasn't had he's he's not productive at this point. Just it has not been productive. Sure, and another issue. I mean, you know, I think you gotta look at Zach Taylor after after yesterday's game because you know we talked about it on here with Ru- with Russ Heltman when he called in last week. How. The Ravens have been giving up the big plays on screen plays and short passes and things like that, and that's what the ba- what the Bengals had to do the first few weeks of the season because they knew they didn't have time to load it up and throw the ball down the field because they knew there was going to be pressure in Joe's face the whole time. So what was the game plan yesterday? I mean, there was at no chance Joe could take a snap, take a step back, saw the pressure coming, and hit a hot route or something. It seemed like they were trying to hit these big plays down the field the whole time, and I don't know why that would have been what you had gone with against this, against this Baltimore team that's going to send the house. So if you hit the underneath routes, there's not as many defensive backs back there to make plays. Yeah. Uh, it's just a really – the game plan would just seem really flawed. You think maybe they got a little overconfident in what happened against Jacksonville because Jacksonville – Well, uh, that's a complete – if you exactly. as a coach thought that the Jaguars win had any effect on what you were going to be able to do against Baltimore who's got a top two, three defense in the league, I, I mean – you I, I would probably say you don't belong as NFL head coach. I don't I don't know. I it was interesting. I mean, they couldn't hit any big plays down the field. Joe's quarterback rating was a 5.6, which is atrocious. And it's not all his fault. There was pressure in his face the whole game, but he did miss some throws. He did hold on to the ball too long that led to a couple of those sacks. I mean, the play when Queen blasted him from behind and he fumbled, he held the ball like 7 or 8 seconds. And I mean, 
you know, you can't be doing that in the NFL. The guys are going to get you at some point, especially against the Ravens because they've got such a good secondary. They can cover for that long. So guys aren't going to come open. So you got to you got to get that ball out of there. I mean, there were times he's trying to outrun cornerbacks blitzing at him, and it's just like, you, it's not, you know, you're not in the SEC anymore. You got to. You're not faster than an NFL cornerback. Joe, Joe's an athletic guy. He can get out of some situations, but he, he's not outrunning, you know, a, a Deshaun Elliott blitzing him off the edge or outrunning Marlon Humphrey or Marcus Peters or even Patrick Queen, who's one of the quickest linebackers in the league due to him being young, fast, and a rookie. I mean, he's not outrunning that, that, that guy either. So right. it's a learning curve. Uh, you know, I know you saw the clip last week of him saying he's learning how to do it, but he didn't take much of a lesson because there were a few times I just remember watching thinking to myself he's got to get that ball out of there I mean I know he's got guys coming in the pockets you know under duress but he's holding that ball five six seven eight seconds at times so you, you can't be doing that in the NFL those guys are going to get to you at some point would you have taken Joe out of the game at some point at near the end for the last 10 10 minutes with all the injuries in the NFL going on right now and with your offensive line you know in disarray for majority of the season right now i mean we're through five games and i'd say four out of five games they, they have not shown you anything or any ability to protect the quarterback and against a team that had been pounding him all game long would you have taken joe out just to save your number one pick and just get him out of harm's way finish the game and not throw it i know joe probably would have wanted to stay in and that's what he did but at from a team standpoint would you have taken him out? Can you give me an example of an NFL team ever doing that with their number one pick? Of taking him out of the ball game? Yeah. Just because they're, you know, it, it's, it comes with the game. You can get hurt playing football. That's just how it is. Uh, and, I mean, it's unfortunate, but no, you, I don't think you take him out of the game to preserve him. I mean, he's a young rookie. He's got to get out there and learn. And, I mean, I, you know, it only led to a field goal, but they left him in that last drive, and they could take something positive that they were finally able to drive the ball down the field to get into scoring position, and they, you know, they broke up the shutout. I mean, if you put Ryan Finley back there, that doesn't happen, and so no. that's a good, you know, learning lesson I think for him. Is it just like let's look at this last drive, what we did well? No, I mean, I don't think you can just pull him out of there because you're worried about him getting sacked again. I, I don't see what how that really benefits him. I mean, it wouldn't benefit him other than it would keep him healthy. You know, I mean, we saw a couple quarterbacks this year who've gone down to injury. I mean, Dak Prescott went down by injury. We had, you know. That's a freak. I mean, that's. It, it's a freak play, but, you know, the, there's been a lot of injuries this year in the NFL. There has been. You know, maybe more than normal in, in a normal NFL season without a preseason, without a, a normal offseason workout plan. Oh, I'm, I'm just posing the question. Do you pull them out? I mean,. Would I, I take into consideration what he would want to do, and I know that he'd want to go out there and play, and that I would have left him in there because you know football is football. You know, it, you were going to be at risk of injury at any point. Um, but if I mean, you don't want your quarterback to get blasted, call some plays where he gets the ball out fast. I'm, yeah, but I mean, if you didn't <laughs> learn the lesson in quarter one, two, or three, in quarter number four, it's still a blowout. You're not going to go out and, and win this game. You know, maybe with five minutes remaining. You know, whatever it is, I don't. Again, I'm just hypothetically. You know, I, would I pull him out? If he doesn't want to come out, I'm not going to pull him out. I'm not the coach, though. You know, so I don't know. Just asking. Figured it would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've heard other people bring it up, but it's I don't know. It's just kind of like I don't see really what you gain out of. Okay, well now he gets to play again next week. I, 
he's going to take a pounding again next week, I'm sure. I mean, that's just what the season's going to be, it seems like. They don't haven't shown, I mean, they held up okay against Jacksonville. There's no one on Jacksonville that scares you pass rush-wise. Um, and, I mean, they, they play Indianapolis next week, who but before this past game when Cleveland kind of lit them up pretty good. But Indianapolis had a top had the top defense in the league. So they're going to come at him again. So he, this could be a problem he's going to face all season long. And I, I'm just, I, you know, obviously you don't want your quarterback to sit back there and take a beating, but you got to adjust your offense to the fact that your O-line cannot hold a pass rush for him to take a five-step drop, look down the field, and deliver the football. You're going to have to go to a little bit more of a West Coast type of style here where you drop back, quick read, and get the ball out because there's going to be guys on him all season long. I mean, this, as I mentioned before earlier, this Ravens team wasn't a top pass rushing team before this game. They sacked them seven times. So, seems like a lot of teams become a pass rushing team uh, when they play the Bengals. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's that's just the reality of what the situation is. Your O line stinks, and uh, you know, there's I don't see anybody stepping up to to fix it. I mean, with the schedule coming up, I mean, Colts have a top tier defense. The Browns, you already faced them once this year, but yeah, I mean, not know, a great how- defense, but they got Miles Garrett, who you know is going to get after the quarterback. And had already had one strip sack you know, against him this season. Titans, I, I don't even know if the Titans are going to play this year. You think they're going to play? <laughs> Who knows? Whatever they're doing. But they might forfeit their season. How about, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it later. But still, I mean, the, the Titans haven't been able to, to get back out on the field after their COVID-19 positive tests. Well, they're supposed to play tomorrow, so uh, we'll see. Yeah, but I thought they moved it, didn't they? Not, there- they didn't move tomorrow's game yet. That's right, because today's Monday. They moved a the game to Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're doing that. Uh, then the Steelers. Uh, Steelers are a top team again. Uh, but, and then the Washington football team and the Giants and the Dolphins. That's when you really get to see if you've made any improvements because it's it's a rough schedule. You know, from from yesterday's game all the way up until November twenty second, I would say. And even then, you still have you know your former. Was uh, Chase Young and Joe on the sea? Uh, they were together at, at some point for OSU, right? I mean, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. At some point. But still, I mean, you get Chase Young on the other side, a Heisman you know, finalist, and, uh, you know, that that's still going to be a, a, a tough defense, I would say, with Washington. You know, just like how Miles Garrett is the face of, of the defense for the Browns, I'd say, you know, Chase Young, through a couple games so far this season, has, has improved and has impressed. Uh, but that would be the really only one that you got to worry about there for Washington. Giants, I don't know about the Giants. They, they they are something. Yeah, I mean, I'm not interested in running through their schedule till December. But right. But they got to fix mean, something right now. they got to fix it now, and it's not going to get easier until that maybe soft spot between Washington Giants and Dolphins. I just think what you got to take away as a Bengals fan from yesterday's game, yes, your O-line is bad. But Joe has some things to improve on, too. Okay, this is the best defense he's faced to this point in his career. And right. he missed some throws. And I'm sure he had some happy feet there in the pocket, and that led to him having some overthrows and missing. You know, he had Bernard a couple times wide open on checkdowns, and he overthrew him because I'm probably thinking so much about about to get drilled every time he dropped back to throw the ball. But, you know, there's some things to improve on. I think we were kind of quick to throw out there that he's going to be the greatest, you know, rookie quarterback ever, but he faced a really good defense yesterday. 
And, uh, you know, didn't look great. As I mentioned, a 5.6 QBR, that's a pretty bad. Um, and there's a lot to improve. So, you know, and I'm sure he's going to get back into practice next week and work on everything, and he'll remember this game the next time they play each other. It won't matter if they're still, you know, letting him get hit 25,000 times in the game. But, you know, um, they, they have things to work on. And, you know, we... You shouldn't allow yourself to get too high after a win over a below-average NFL team. And, I mean, they came out this game and got boat raced, so they got to go back to the trolling board. Right, and the big thing I maybe to be probably to be concerned about is that your head coach has yet to have a win on the road. Yeah, Zach yeah, Taylor would cause some concern. Yeah, he's 0 for 15. 0 15 and 1, I believe. So it, that's... That's another issue. You know, is Zach Taylor the guy to lead this team? And maybe if you had an offensive line, maybe, you know, you might have some success. But, you know, at some point, you now through two years, what did it take Hugh Jackson up in Cleveland? You know? About two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. And, you know, that that includes the the winless season. Stefanski has more wins or has tied the wins with, uh, you know, Hugh Hugh Jackson. But still, uh, for Cincinnati, they got time to recover. Um, you know, they still got the rest of the season to go. It's going to be a brutal schedule coming up, but you knew that when you took a look at the schedule before, and uh, you know, you just got to improve week in and week out, and now you have that measuring stick. Can you beat the Ravens' defense? Not this week. Come, you know, January 3rd, if you do a little bit better, you don't get sacked seven times, and you're able to, you know, put some more points up on the board, I'd say that's improvement. But we got to wait and see for that. Next game, of course, will be coming up on Sunday as it will be the Colts and the Bengals at 1 o'clock with an 11.30 pregame, as always, right here on 970 WATH. We'll step aside for a short break on the Sports Fan, presented by J&K Contracting. From concrete to roofing to siding and windows, J&K Contracting has you covered from the ground up. Whether it's a room addition, a complete home build, or your commercial projects, let the professionals at J&K be of service from groundbreaking to completion. And don't forget they accept all major credit cards. They even have free seamless gutters with every complete roof installation. Don't hesitate to call J&K Contracting at 740-698-3521 for a free estimate. Start your mornings with Scott Daly from 6 to 12. Hop on the party line from 9 to 10. Join Sky Hope on Classic Caravan from 4 to 6 p.m. And listen into the sports fan at 6.06 on Classic Hits 970 and 97.1 FM WATH. Skilled trade workers are the backbone of every community and also the Army National Guard. Soldiers trained to keep the power flowing, engines running, and in every other trade needed to accomplish the mission. These soldiers are on the fast track to learning skills that can set them up for success at home with companies looking to hire the best. Their resumes are being built through their paid training and part-time service. Find out how you too can learn a trade profession by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. Now, for more of the Sports Fan on 970-WATH. It's a sports fan right here on 970 and 97.1 FM. Connor Mills and Mike alongside Joey Medore. And up to until 7 o'clock today on Sports Fan presented by JNK Contracting. You know, this AFC North has been 
Yeah, pretty impressive so far. I mean, you got the Browns who are at four and one. You got the five and zero oh, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, and then of course you have the Ravens, whose only loss is to the reigning Super Bowl champions in uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, this division is pretty pretty good here, Joey. Yeah, um, for sure. And of course, the Browns—they uh, had something to show yesterday because their offense. You know, they put up some big points against, you know, teams like the Bengals. We just talked about Washington, the Cowboys, all teams with struggling defenses. But, you know, they had the, the number one overall defense come into town yesterday in the Colts. And, you know, I was really interested to see what they would end up doing there. And they go on to score 32 points in a, you know, a 32-23 win. Uh, they were able to hit some shots down the field with Mayfield, which was uh, probably encouraging to see because we hadn't really seen that. Mayfield hadn't eclipsed 200 yards passing in any of their, in any of their victories that they had. So he throws for 247 yesterday, and, of course, the, the run game's still there, 124 yards on the ground for Cleveland. And then the, the defense is opportunistic with a couple turnovers, and they get the win. And then uh, you got to look at Pittsburgh as well. You know, they let Philly back in the game late to kind of make it a little bit close there, but, you know, they kind of just rolled over Philadelphia, who is, you know, we, we've seen to be not a very good football team this year. But you got to look at it. I mean... Outside of the outside of Cincinnati, the rest of the teams combined for only two losses, and the top three. And it's looking like they're might be the only division in the AFC that can that can probably field three playoff teams. And of course, now that there's uh, the seventh seed, that that's much more likely. But I mean, you look at all the other divisions. You know, you got the AFC East, Bills undefeated at the top. Everybody else has two or more losses. Uh, you got the AFC South. Titans are tough to judge right now. They're three and zero, but everybody else has two or more losses. And then you look at it: the Chiefs at the top of the AFC West. And everybody else has you know two or more losses. And then you go over to the AFC. It's all it's it's all the the NFC. I mean, it's all the same. I mean, the Bears are four and one, while the Packers are four and zero. I'm not sure how good the Bears really are. I know they just beat I know they just beat Tampa Bay on a Thursday night game, but I you know I'm not. I'm not ready to pull push all my chips in to say the Bears are going to end up being a playoff team just yet. I mean, the, I think the only conference that you could say has a shot at being just as good as the AFC North right now is the NFC West because, of course, undefeated Seattle. You got the, the the Rams with one loss. You have the Cardinals at three and two, where I think people still expect them to kind of be at the bottom, although they'd be a little bit better by adding DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, the shock of that division is the fact the Niners have – just got absolutely destroyed by the Dolphins yesterday. Right. I mean, Fitzmagic, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick, you think he he's going to be uh, staying over top Tua for a little bit longer with that performance? Yeah, I mean, after a game like that against uh, their defense, supposed to still be stellar despite being a little bit banged up. But, I mean, they got Jimmy G back. It looked like, you know, the offense would come, and he just looked like garbage. I mean, he got replaced. They put Beathard back in. Uh so, yeah, not sure what's going on with the Niners there. But, yeah, I mean, you got to look at this AFC North. You know, two losses between the, the just the top three teams, only only conference in, or only division, excuse me, in football that only that will have three teams with only one loss or even better uh, being Pittsburgh as they're undefeated to this point. So I think you got to look at it and say right now the AFC North is probably the strongest conference in football. I mean, the strongest division. Keep saying conference. Yeah, I mean, it is just by the numbers probably the strongest division. Uh, again, you got the Ravens, who I think can go deep this year. Steelers are always good year in and year out. And the Browns have been surprising. Uh, but they've looked good surprising, which which is different to say than probably over the last 20 years. It's been a nice surprise from Cleveland. Um, and, of course, you know the Bengals are uh, 
rebuilding, and you know they, they got a whole process that they got to go through before they can consider themselves, you know, one of the better teams. But you know, for for Cleveland, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh, that's a pretty good one-two-three punch right there. Uh, obviously, I, I would say the worst division is probably the NFC East. Well, you're really going out on a limb there. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is uh, a whole lot of people may may not agree, but I, I think a whole lot would agree here. NFC East, I mean, the Cowboys, brutal, brutal uh, injury to Dak Prescott. Uh, Eagles have not looked good ever since that they won the, the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Uh, the Washington football team, uh, they got to have a quarterback who's they, they, they have nothing right now. The Washington football team, and the same goes for the Giants or either New York football team. You know, I, I heard another thing uh, the other day where if you combine the Jets and the Giants, you're not going to get a good football team either way. You can combine the two whole teams, and they'll, they'll still be pretty bad. Unde- un- winless. 0-5 for each. But uh, you know, NFC is not anything to be concerned about. NFC North, the Packers, maybe the Bears. But... Yeah, I mean, like you said, nothing really that uh, that would worry you other than maybe the NFC West where you have the Rams and you got the Seahawks and Russell Wilson has, has looked pretty good, especially did you catch the Vikings game last night? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, that, that game, the, the comeback in the second half was impressive by Wilson and, uh, and the you Seahawks. You just knew but. that somehow, even though it was fourth and ten, they were going to find a way to go down the field and win the football game. <laughs> That's that's just that's the level Russell Wilson's been on so far this year. MVP candidate? Favorite? Uh, yeah, I mean, candidate. <laughs> yeah, I think he's probably been the best player in football throughout the first few weeks of the season. Right. Oh, yeah, I mean, to get back to the original, AMC North, Steelers, Ravens, Browns, those are all pretty good teams. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're all three postseason contenders. I mean, the one thing... Only one knock on the Browns. Of course, you could probably put it on the Ravens as well, though. It's, you know, who's the quality team that, they, that they've beaten? If you want to throw it at the Colts, I, you know, I don't think Phillip Rivers is the guy. I think he's just a, a wash veteran that, you know, people are talking about a Brady and Breezer wash. Well, what's Phillip Rivers? Because, I mean, this guy, I mean, in the fourth quarter of that game, just watching it, and when as soon as it was a chance Cleveland went up two scores, I literally turned to the people I was watching. I was like, you know, if. If the Browns score a touchdown, your game's over. Because Phillip Rivers just physically can't get this team down the field twice in 10 minutes. It's hard enough for him to do it one time in like eight minutes just to tie the ball game up. I mean, he looks rough throwing the football. And, uh, yeah, that's just kind of the thing there. But, you know, Cleveland, all their wins. You know, Washington, not a great win. Cincinnati, not a great win. Dallas doesn't look great. So that, that, that's the one question mark. We'll see once they play a quality team again. Because, you know, when they played Baltimore week one, and I know it's week one, it's, circumstances can be a little different, but it was, it was 38-6. to You know, they got blown out of the, out of the building. So we're going to see how they progress throughout the season. I mean, it's definitely encouraging. You know, I'm, I'm not the one that's all like I'm so shocked the Browns are playing this well because look at the talent they have on their team. They should be playing this well. Especially with the schedule they've had early on. Yeah, but I understand they've never had it in 20, whatever. I just think it's oversaturated how much we have to talk about. Oh my God, look how great the Browns are playing. Well, they got Pittsburgh next week. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what the Browns are really about. And here's the thing with Pittsburgh, right? I take a look at the strength of the schedule. There's another one. The schedule has not, not been, uh, yeah, yeah has I mean, not been great. Giants, Texans, a 28 to 21 win over the Texans, uh, Eagles, and then uh, that's, that's it. They're four and, 4-0, but 
Eagles, Broncos, Giants. Uh, That's not a a tough slate. Yeah, no, coming into the season, the AFC North uh, had the easiest strength of schedule, so it's not shocking to see these teams. But you've got to beat them. You've got to go out there and handle their business, and that's what they've had. I mean, if they have to take advantage of of a poor schedule, you know, you know, you got to do what you got to do to be able to get into the postseason. I mean, Baltimore had to play Kansas City, and obviously they lost that game. But uh, you're right about Pittsburgh. They haven't exactly played a quality opponent yet, but you just got to look at it. I mean, going through this right now, looking at these teams play, it seems like they, this division could have three teams that win 10-plus games. And I think they could. You know, I, I think, you know, Pittsburgh can definitely do it. I think the Ravens can do it. And, you know, the Browns have looked good. So you got to tip a cap to the Browns this year and say, hey, maybe they can do it too. Um, but I'll leave with, with, with this. I think the Raiders uh, were, were pretty good as well. I mean, to wrap up what, what happened yesterday, Las Vegas had a tall task against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But Las Vegas with Carr and with the running back Jacobs, I mean, they grinded it out and got that victory, uh, which was a pretty impressive win for John Gruden's Las Vegas Raiders team. Yeah, I won't try to, you know, try to tell you know the Chiefs to hit the panic button. But outside of the Ravens game and maybe the Texans game to start the season, they haven't looked great by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they had troubles with the Chargers. Uh, who was it last week that that gave them some fits? Uh, New England gave them some trouble, and then of course you know some turnovers and things happened, and they ended up pulling that game out by a couple scores. But it wasn't pretty by any means. And then of course yesterday. The defense looked awful. I mean, you know, Gruden really opened up the playbook for Derek Carr, and he, he looks a lot better than he has the past couple of years. But, you know, they were throwing shots down the field, and uh, it was working out for him. I mean, Henry Ruggs was burning them deep for a couple touchdowns. I mean, he can just flat-out fly. It's crazy how much talent Alabama has had at the wide receiver position these past couple of years. I mean, he was like the third-best receiver at the time there, and he just was torching the Chiefs' defense yesterday. Um and we always knew the weakness for the Chiefs. You know, it's hard It's hard to blame Mahomes. I mean, they kind of got the touchdown and the two-point conversion at the end there to make it look closer. But they were down 16 points with about six minutes left in the game. And uh, obviously never got a shot to, to get the ball back to try to tie it. And Mahomes has still never lost the game by multi-possession. But he definitely felt like they did yesterday because they just got flat out outplayed by by Vegas and it's, it's a good win for them and if you're uh rooting for a team that's that's on the wild card bubble kind of you're you're not you don't like that one because uh you know you're really hoping that a team like the Chiefs would handle the Raiders but you know when you run into a tough division opponent and uh this Raiders offense has been clicking pretty well throughout the game I mean don't forget they beat the Saints as well a couple weeks ago yep I mean John Gruden has that team pretty good yeah I mean that team looks a lot better than than it did you know before Gruden and uh, you know, Las Vegas, they uh, they might be coming. They could be a, a, a team to watch out for. I think that they make the postseason, too. But got to wait and see. Got to wait and see. Either way, we'll take another short break right here on the Sports Fan. On the other side, a couple things. Of course, we got to go over the OHSA postseason this past weekend. Uh, and a Reds legend has passed away. We'll break it down and more on the other side. You're listening to a sports fan on 970 97.1 FM, WATH. This is a potter's field. When people can't pay for their funerals, they are buried here. It is a lonely, desolate place, littered with unmarked headstones. No one visits. No one leaves flowers. But it doesn't have to be that way. 
For as low as $1 a day, you can ensure your family will have the money to pay your funeral expenses. We offer burial insurance plans that pay up to $30,000. Considering the average funeral costs more than $10,000, that's peace of mind for your family. There are no medical exams, your rates won't increase, and your policy cannot be canceled as long as you make your premium payments. Call now to get approved in minutes and ensure your final resting place is more than just a pauper's grave in a potter's field. 800-323-0633. 800-323-0633. That's 800-323-0633. Paid for by Final Expense Direct. The Trimble Tomcats wrapped up another undefeated regular season and have a bye as they head into the postseason with the 6-0 record and the number one overall overall seed in Region 27. Tomcats are on Powell 5 for the Athens County Game of the Week, which is sponsored by Donato's, Stop and Cop, and Integrated Services. On October 16th, the pregame show will start at 6.50 with kickoff at 7. Listen live over the air at WXTQ 105.5 FM or online at WXTQ.com backslash Power 105. Fairhope celebrates life. If you're facing an end-of-life situation, Fairhope Hospice and Palliative Care. It is never too soon to call. Fairhope is here to listen. You don't have to face it alone. Fairhope cares for your loved one where they live. Or, during times of stress, the Pickering House is a serene setting providing relief for the patient. To learn more about Fairhope's Care from the Heart, please call 1-800-994-7077. Fairhope Hospice, we celebrate life. Join us each week for Auto Smarts. You'll never know who will show up. Jay Leno, welcome to Auto Smarts. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Tom Garlitz, thanks for everything. Thank you so much. Bill Engvall. And Bill, how are you today, sir? I'm doing just great. The one and only Carl Edwards joins us today. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing really good, and uh, thank you for having me on. This is cool. So come on. Join in the fun. That's Auto Smarts. Friday afternoons at 106 on 970 WHH and 97.1 FM. In today's world, the last thing you need is a broken cell phone. If you've got equipment in need of repair, Athens Cell Phone and Electronic Repair is here to help. Athens Electronic Repair services all brands of electronics, cell phones, tablets, game systems, and more. Plus, during the health crisis, Athens Cell Phone and Electronic Repair offers home pickup and delivery and a contact-free drop-off kiosk outside the store. Don't work from home with a busted computer? Call Athens Cell Phone and Electronic Repair at 740-590-1677 or visit the shop at 386 Richland Avenue, Athens. From concrete to roofing to siding and windows, J&K Contracting has you covered from the ground up. Whether it's a room addition, a complete home build, or your commercial projects, let the professionals at J&K be of service from groundbreaking to completion. And don't forget they accept all major credit cards. They even have free seamless gutters with every complete roof installation. Don't hesitate to call J&K Contracting at 740-698-3521 for a free estimate. Live and local, the sports fan on 970 WATH. It's a sports fan right here on 970 97.1 FM WATH. Mills the mic along with Joey Madure up until 7 o'clock today for the sports fan presented by JK Contracting. And, you know, over the weekend we heard that the, uh, the sad news about Joe Morgan, who was a driving force of the Big Red Machine. Uh, he had passed away at the age of 77. A uh, family spokesperson said he died at his home Sunday in Danville, California. Morgan was suffering from a nerve condition, a form of polyneuropathy. Probably butchered the name of the uh, the name of the, the thing there. But 
Uh, he became the spark plug of the Big Red Machine and the prototype for baseball's artificial turf error. Morgan was a two-time NL Most Valuable Player, a ten-time All-Star, and won five gold gloves. He could hit a home run, steal a base, and disrupt any game with his daring speed. Most of all, the five-foot-seven dynamo known for his flapping his left elbow drove a Cincinnati team featuring the likes of Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, and Tony Perez to the World Series titles in 1975 and 1976. Again, Joe Morgan was 77 years old. Uh, Joe, he's one of the, the baseball players that I wish that I could have watched play growing up. I mean, obviously he had his playing time way before I was even born. Uh, but, you know, he was one of those guys that he's a legend and uh, will, of course, live in Cooperstown. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously never got to see him as a, as a player. It was long before my time on this. But I, I do remember him as a broadcaster, him and... Uh, him and uh, John Miller being on ESPN and things like that, calling the uh, the Sunday night baseball games, and that's how, of course, I came to know who Joe Morgan was. And yeah, obviously, Sam News was a was a great ball, baseball player, great broadcaster, uh, really multifaceted guy. And uh, you know, the Reds lost uh, lost a legend. That they did, and uh, always disappointing. It seems like we've lost a lot in the MLB this year. Of course, uh, you know, you know, I'm a Met fan, but uh, Tom Seaver passing away this year. Uh, and there was Ricky Henderson. Did uh, did Henderson die as well? I I can't. Um, but there was there was a couple legends that that did die uh, in, in the MLB, and you know, it's always uh, always disappointing when you lose you know some of your your uh, sports best players. Uh, but Joe Morgan again passing away at the age of 77 yesterday. Um, over the weekends. Or on Friday before we hit the weekend, of course, it was the OHSA playoffs. It was the first round. A lot of blowouts. Uh, of course, uh, not the result that Athens fans were looking for on Friday as they lost to Western Brown by a score of 42-12. to 12. Uh, You know, maybe they got a couple things going in the second half. But, you know, as, as I heard, you know, it was a rough 50-second stretch going into halftime and then coming out of halftime because they allowed that touchdown you know, right after the half. Uh, so it was a, a tough uh, way to end, you know, the uh, the OHSAA postseason for the Bulldogs. I did hear that there is some talks about you know, continuing their season. I have not heard you know, about any games that are upcoming or scheduled yet. Uh, at this point, maybe they take the the Friday off unless they have a, an opponent that they can schedule for Friday. Uh, but you know, we we talked about it a lot on the post game show, Joey, and they just gotta. You know, use what they've learned this year and, and continue to get better next year. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think they ran into a team that got severely underranked, first of all. Uh, I think that being a 15 seed, this Western Brown team, it was uh, quite impressive. And, you know, they got their first ever postseason victory. Just a really good football team that can just light up the scoreboard. Uh, and, you know, I wouldn't be all too surprised. You know, I'm not going to go on the limb and say they're going to knock off Bishop Hartley, who's, who's the two two seed in the in the region but you know they're a team that can if you can put up points like that man you could play with anybody uh you know we saw it early in the year they played a really good clinton team early on and you know they lost 84 to 60 but you know they're still in the game they just couldn't stop them but their offense is more than capable of getting into a shootout and winning a game so i thought it was a little shocking seeing a team that talented being so so lowly Ranked there, of course, you know, it seems in the past years they haven't had the, quite the reputations uh, statewide to get the recognition, perhaps, and maybe that's what led to a, to a lower seating for them. But I think Athens just 
kind of got a tough draw. They ran into a really good, really talented team, and, you know, they're banged up. Uh, that starting quarterback uh, fell behind early. Just tough to dig yourself out of a hole where you got to be one-dimensional, just try to throw the ball down the field. But as you said, they did were able to muster a couple, a couple late touchdowns there to try to, you know, perhaps build off something. Uh, for next year, you got a young quarterback in Wheatley who, you know, Brad Walker told us he thinks the kid has, uh, has a lot of talent back there. And, of course, it was his first ever varsity start as a sophomore in a playoff game against a, against a really talented football team. Not exactly a, an easy situation to be dropped on you for a kid that young. And, uh, you know, they stood in there and they fought. They fought till the, till the bitter end. And, you know, it would be good to see them get to play a couple more games this season, try to pick up some victories uh, for this 2020 weird season that they had to put on here. But I just think it boils down to they, they got a tough draw. Yeah, I mean, it was a really tough draw for them. Um, just a, a tough tough postseason. You know, obviously when you have a lot of people and when you're doing a, a big seeding like this, like a, a 22 seed facing a, uh, what is it, 11 seed or, or something along those ballparks, like, you know, there's there's a reason why somebody was ranked at the bottom, and there's a reason why somebody was ranked maybe not as high. But uh, of course, misrankings always happen. But you know, a lot of blowouts in this opening round. You know, I was talking with a couple people uh, on on Saturday after the, those games finished up. But you look around the area, and a lot, a lot of blowouts. Oh, I mean, even like you, you would see 16, 17 seeds. Like Monroe Central is going to play Trimble, you know, this weekend, and they played Frank uh, Strasburg Franklin. That was a 16, 17 matchup. It was 46 to six. Exactly. I mean. So, yeah, as you mentioned, a lot of blowouts in this first round. I, I, and I think that's going to continue in this round because, I mean, you're going to see some 215s, some 512s, uh, 413s. I mean, as I tremble, you would think is going to roll against Monroe Central. You know, there's, there's going to be some tough matchups for sure. Um, but I think that's, that's what we kind of expected when it, when it came to this year, and I mean, I posed a question to Michael Roth when he called in last week. He kind of just brushed it off to me, but I was saying how, like, I mean, these first couple weeks in the postseason may not be very competitive. I mean, you're going to have some 8-9 matchups across the, across the regions, but other than that, I, this seems like a lot of these games could turn out to be, uh, could get pretty ugly, and we saw that this first weekend. You should expect that. You let more teams in the playoffs. There's a reason why you only let eight teams in on a normal year just to you know, try to keep it as competitive as possible. I mean, when there's eight teams, we see first-round teams get destroyed in the postseason, right? So right. It's, it's, it's to be expected when you, when you expand it like this. Right. And, it, it, again, I mean, whenever you expand it, like you've been saying, you know, there are a lot of, lot of teams that you know, may or may not deserve to be in there. And, you know, as, as I told somebody this past weekend, you know, it is – you know, it's nice that every team did not have to worry about scheduling. It's nice that we did not have to worry about computer point rankings this year. Uh, but there are some teams who made their first, first postseason appearance, and it might be you know their only postseason appearance for for a little while. Um, and and you know that's okay. You know they 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 made it. They were here this year. They participated. Got to throw your ring it to that. I mean, just look at Miami Trace. Right. Miami Trace Chilla Coffee. And this is another thing that I wanted to mention. Big outbreak, Chillicothe. Did not have their yeah. full team on, <laughs> on Friday night. Chillicothe had a lot of people out because yeah. of COVID. Yeah. And first off, I'm shocked that they were able to play that game. I am absolutely shocked that Chillicothe was allowed to take the field at Miami Trace. And Miami Trace went out there. They erased an early season loss to Chillicothe. And that was just a game that I don't think should have happened. Because how do you do the contact tracing and, and all the such and, and still play that game? 
I mean, I don't know how they were able to still play that game uh, with, with the amount of people who had COVID positive for, for Chillicothe. Uh, but that game happens. Miami Trace won. Chillicothe gets, gets knocked out. Yeah, um, as you said, that's an instance that we've been, you know, kind of talking about. If you get stuck in a COVID situation, uh, you know, some, some funky things could happen this postseason. That's one of them. I mean, that game in the regular season was 42-3. to Chillicothe over Miami Trace, and they come back in the postseason and beat them. Of course, we mentioned, you know, Chillicothe missing. I, I think it was over half their team from what I heard. I think someone told me, Michael Roth, it might have been, might have told me they only dressed 15 guys for that game on Friday night. So, right. tough draw. But at the same time, you know, we're talking about all these blowouts and all this stuff. But, same, you know, we get these stories of, you know, a team like Wilson gets a home playoff game, right, for, you know, and then they get, they get a win at home in the postseason. And it's... Something that doesn't happen very often for Wilson. Same with Vinton County, who got a, who also got a big win. Now they're moving on to the next week as well. So with all the, you know, we talk about the stuff with blowouts. It, we still get the same amount of cool stories with it in the, you know, that makes it kind of worth it. You don't want to continue to do this for the rest of, uh, for the rest of, you know, the rest of time afterwards after we get through this pandemic. You want to continue to have all these teams in the postseason. Then you know we just see this this non really non competitive football uh, in week seven for the postseason. But uh, at the same time, a lot of cool stories that came out of it. Teams that haven't won a playoff game before get their first ever playoff win. Teams get their first ever playoff home game and things like that. So that, make, that makes it a little bit cool. Yeah, it does. You know, a lot of people get some postseason experience. You know, I mean, that's, that's something that you know, teams may or may not have had. You know, but, but you get that you know, meaningful football game experience, and maybe you turn it into something next year. Um, and also, we, we opened... And I said maybe it was uh, Henderson. It was not Henderson. Uh, Lou Brock passed away after Tom Seaver. He was the uh, the other speedster, uh, stolen base leadoff hitter. Uh, but Lou Brock did pass away when we were talking about baseball, not not Ricky Henderson. But still, you know, I mean, when going back to the OHSA playoffs, yeah, it, it's a cool thing that they got to go in. Some cool stories come out of this. Uh, teams get their first playoff win, just like Western Brown was able to get their first playoff win, um, and and appearance since 2014 but um yeah and i think western brown would have had the computer points this year to probably go in there and and make a postseason appearance uh but for western brown they would have made it anyway for a team like miami trace and upset in chillicothe i mean that was unforeseen i don't know how far miami trace will be able to go Uh, i didn't foresee them winning against chillicothe but still yeah, that's an, a story where you can go out and say, you know, during this one year, you know, dealing with the pandemic, you go out there, you win that football game against all odds for, for Miami Trace. And now, you know, you get to make your story, you know, if you're Trimble Tomcats or the Nelsonville York Buckeyes, you get to go out there and prove why you are the one seed or why you are the six seed. You know, go out there and, and show the discrepancy there. But you know, those, those are two fun games that are coming up this weekend. Yeah, told you it'd be Sims Valley. Yeah, you did. And I, I didn't feel like I was going out on a limb, and you were still questioning uh, if I should it's, guarantee it or not. It's just fun to play devil's advocate with you. That's all. <laughs> but still, um, you know, when when it is yes, either Sims Valley or whoever, who's what's stopping them from having another Miami Trace situation? Yeah, nothing, nothing at all. I right? mean, now that we've we've literally seen how much that can affect the team that lost by thirty nine, won by multiple <laughs> touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, obviously that can have a huge effect on, you know, and Miami Trace wasn't a pushover team this year. I mean, no. they, they gave Jackson some fits when they played each other. Jackson ended up 
winning pretty big, but it was a close game early on. It was 14-14 at the end of the first quarter. But, yeah, I mean, it was just shocking to see. And then, of course, I found out the story that they only dressed like 15 guys and all that. And obviously you're like, oh, okay, well, that obviously had a major impact on the outcome of the game. But still, you know, a good win there for Miami Trace. you got to beat who they put in front of you, right? And that, you know, that was the situation they go into. But we have, I mean, a lot of good matchups, you know. We're going to get a Caldwell Eastern rematch. Uh, Waterford takes on River, the three seed. And right. Waterford's always a, a strong team in the playoffs. Of course, we got Trimble looking to push for that state Final Four again this year, at, coming out as the one seed. Uh, Nelsonville, York against Sims Valley. Nelsonville, York's been playing some really good football. So a lot of local teams. And then, of course, we got Vinton County playing Gallia. Um, yeah, so I think that could be a good football team. Yeah, I, I agree. If Vinton County can, you know, control the game a little bit, I mean, Gallia is a good football team. They had a close win over Wellston, uh, and Wellston did pretty well against Vinton County, as we saw. But uh, Vinton County has, you know, hung in there with some of the best teams in the TVC all year long. So we'll see what they can take the momentum from the first playoff win, what they can do against uh, Gallia. So there's a lot of games to look forward to in the area. Another one is uh, Warren plays John Glenn. So that, that'll be another one. To take a look at Warren's had a pretty successful year, and John Glenn's always a good team coming out of the MVL. Right. I mean, back to Vinton County, I, when we saw them, the one thing that I talked about was finishing the game, right? If they yeah. finished the game against Nelsonville, York, they wouldn't have lost in overtime. But they finished the game against Union Local. It was time 13-13 going into halftime. You go out there, you score your 33 points, you hold Union Local only to a touchdown after the second half. I mean, that is exactly what Vinton County has needed to do all season long. And if they can do that, then maybe they make some noise in the postseason That's right. as well. Everybody's got a shot now. Yeah, you're in it. You're in it to win it. And you've and won a playoff game, so you have that confidence. There you go. Uh, you won that meaningful football game, and I got your shot to, uh, to advance and continue to go forward. But anyway, thanks for listening to us right here on the Sports Fan at 970 and 97.1 FM WATH. For Joy Medour, this is Connor Mills signing off. We'll come your way next, 6.06 tomorrow. And then, of course, it's the Trimble Tomcats and the Nelsonville York Buckeyes. Trimble on Friday at 6.50 over on WXTQ and Nelsonville York at 6.50 on Saturday. We'll see you then. Yes.